Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Go ahead and tell them to call my phone. Welcome to Arizona Fit, the podcast that brings you all original, all organic Phoenix-focused fitness content. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Ian Knight, with Believe in Phoenix on the Believe Podcast Network, Phoenix's number one fitness podcast network. From Avondale all the way to the East Valley, just as a heads up, your willpower will be tested today. You're in for a big treat today as I bring on the founder of Willpower based out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Before we get started, if you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe and rate the show. We always appreciate the love. Remember that we are available in all your favorite directories, and if you're interested in advertising on the show, you can always contact Believe at Believe.com. Willpower was founded back in 2015 after Will decided he wanted to make a bigger impact on the world after his dreams of playing Major League Baseball came to an end. I hope you're in the mood to learn about nutrition because we'll be talking about it for the next two episodes. That's how great the show is. Let's jump into it. Will Powered. Uh, so, Will, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners who may have not heard of you um, a little bit about your upbringing and kind of just how you got started in the fitness industry. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, for everybody listening out there, I, I started at a very young age. This isn't something that just fell into my lap. I was actually kind of um, forced into it. Uh, when, I was, when I was young, growing up um, over in New Mexico, I grew up in a small town. When I was about 12 years old, I got on my very first diet, not because my parents put me on a diet or for any reason other than I wanted to be a better athlete. And I honestly wanted girls to like me because I was like the chubby kid. So um, neither of my parents were overweight at all. I was an only child, so I didn't really have anybody to go to. So the first diet I ever did was the Atkins diet. And I did it in total secrecy. Um, I would run early in the morning before anybody got up. I would jump rope in the garage. Um, I, I had been, my, my parents had been grooming me my whole life to be a major league baseball player because I was one of the only left-handed kids in our little tiny town. And I was pretty good at throwing a baseball. Oh, so that's I was, major. You know, right. That's a big deal. So it was like, okay, he can throw a baseball. He's left-handed. Like this is what he's going to do with the rest of his life. And that's what I thought. I was going to do for the rest of my life. So I, I, you know, looking at athletes, I wanted to get in really good shape. I grew up on your typical like Mexican family diet. I grew up on fast food. I grew up on frozen food. I don't blame my parents at all. It was just the environment at the time with both of my parents working full time. Um, but, but anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to stay in that topic. So as, as I go through high school, I'm always trying to figure it out. Like, why don't I have those genetics that all my friends have? I mean, they have six packs. They're skinny. Why me? Why me? So I kept trying different protein powders, trying different diets, trying different training styles. By the time I got into college, I was I was educating myself for pre-med, because, not because I wanted to be a doctor, but because I thought I was going to play baseball, but because I wanted to learn about the body. I was so obsessed with the human body and how nutrition and exercise changed it. And I didn't want to be a nutritionist. I, I didn't want to be a trainer per se. And all through college, I just continued to have this obsession with nutrition and wellness. And, um, you know, if you want, we, we can veer back into the baseball stuff. But after college, I got done playing baseball. I, I tapped everybody had been asking me, hey, how do what should I eat? What's I was like the go to guy. 
What supplements should I take? What diet should I do? What are proteins? What are carbs? You were pretty do. much the uh, you were pretty much the strength and conditioning coach plus nutritionist outside of the uh, the uh, facility, weren't you? I was the nutritionist for the strength and conditioning coaches. Like that, I'm not joking. That's how much I knew because I mean, think about it. I'm 21. I'm 20 years old in college, and I've been dieting for eight years. Like. I know majority of even people who become strength and conditioning coaches who decide at some point in their life, hey, this is what I want to do. They may have four years under their belt, five years. I'm sitting here with eight like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. Oh, I know what that does. Oh, yeah, I've done that. Oh, I've done that. And it was trial and error. Like, it was bizarre how obsessed I was about nutrition. And uh, you know what? Uh, the, the reason I like your story so much is Growing up, I was a bigger kid as well. Um, I wouldn't say I got picked on or anything because I also grew up in a military family where, um, you know, this may not be appropriate nowadays, but someone hits you, you hit you hit them two times harder and they won't hit you again. Uh, but <laughs> but um, no, I know what you mean, because honestly, do you, I don't know if you remember like late night tsunami growing up in Cartoon Network, but. During commercial breaks and during the more slower shows, I would be in our basement, you know, cranking out the jump rope doing 200 push-ups, sit-ups. Now that I'm older, I realize how bad, you know, traditional sit-ups are for your back. But um, I'd be down there doing those typical things, putting on the boxing gloves, hitting the heavy bag. So, man, I, I know exactly what you mean. And so you pick up these things along the way. And, you know, and I think a lot of people devalue true experience over degrees. But, you know, that's another conversation. Uh, go ahead. Oh, 100%. I mean, my parents knew that I was obsessed with health and wellness. Just like what just like what you said, I had the punching bag, I had the bench press. I begged them to get me like a Bowflex when the Bowflex came out. It was I wanted anything that I could get my hands on because they thought, you know, I I'm doing this for baseball because you can only throw a baseball a certain amount of times per day before you're going to throw your arm out. So mm -hmm. it was like the rest of my time was training and no other kids were doing that. Like no kids were, it was like, show up to baseball practice. Okay, do what you got to do and then go home and do your stuff. I was obsessed with the training because I wanted to lose weight. So it was like this, it was like this thing that's not so healthy mentally that was fueling me to just become obsessed with this. And the good thing was, is after all that was said and done, after the, the college, after baseball, I had this opportunity to kind of go into bodybuilding and then that's where things really changed. And that's where the ideas of, of a business model started to started to curate themselves is once I made this transition into having full control. Because when you're playing baseball your whole life, you don't have full control. You have coaches. You have to abide by a very strict schedule. You can only do this. You can only do that. And my goal wasn't to own a business. It wasn't to be in health and wellness. My main goal was to be a professional baseball player. So that was always at the forefront. And once that dream was kind of suppressed is when I really transitioned into the next phase of my life. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I had thought just to touch a little bit on my, a little bit more on my story, you know, I, I was groomed. I mean, we got up and I grew up in a tiny town in New Mexico and we got, my parents got up and moved us when I was 16 out of New Mexico and moved to Arizona to give me a better opportunity to play baseball. Like it was, everything was riding on my shoulders. It was, I moved to a city 
literally at the time, the best high school baseball league you could possibly be in. Um, played in that, went to the state championship, um, went to my first junior college, went to another junior college. In the middle of junior college, I had thrown so much from being a little kid that I, I was only lefty. So I always had arm problems, but I always knew how to do the rehab, do the training, so I could get through it all. In the middle of college, I had Tommy John surgery. So for anybody listening that knows baseball, that is a very serious surgery that takes about 15 months to rehab from. So I do that surgery in the middle of college. I, 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 I have to stay in school an extra year. Um, I had to go to walk-on tryouts at, um, at the University of Arizona. And I'll make this really short. But when I went down there, it was one of those, I had trained my entire life. I had I'd been doing this since I was 12. I was the hardest worker in the room. Everything, I, I didn't drink. I was living by myself. I was in off-campus living. I was, I was prepping my food, working out all day, doing rehab. I would- You were I living thought, like a pro already. I, I was, and here's the crazy thing is, I didn't know anybody down there, so I had to go buy two buckets of baseballs, and I had to throw them into a fence every day because I had nobody to play catch with. So I would throw against the fence, and then I would film myself pitching into a bucket, and then I would go home and I would rewatch the film, and I would critique myself like a coach. And then I would go do my rehab, I would go do my training, I would go to Sprouts, I would prep all, I knew how to do it all. I would prep all my food. It was like, I was like the storybook, like nobody outworks this guy, like he's gonna make it. And then when I went to walk on tryouts, at, at the time, the University of Arizona was like the number two baseball school in the nation. Um, coach Lopez is one of the most like world-renowned college coaches. And I went to walk-ons and I threw the best bullpen of my entire life. And it was like one of those moments where I was like, wow, like I actually did it. And I'll never forget, I was sitting in the dugout and Coach Lopez walks over and he said, thank you all for coming out today, but we're not taking anybody. And... At that moment in my life, everything stopped. Like my heart skipped a beat, like reality wasn't reality. I was like, this can't be real. I, I, I don't know what to do. I couldn't call my parents. I couldn't tell my friends. Like my whole entire life built up to that moment and then it was, it was gone. Like I, I was in pre-med, but I didn't want to be a doctor. Like my life was to play baseball. And at that moment, it was completely shut down. And what it did, was it triggered something in my brain that, that I had never experienced before. It was the, not every, just because you work hard doesn't mean things are going to get handed to you. It doesn't mean there's light at the end of the tunnel. As much as we want to think that, just because you put in work does not mean you're going to get exactly what you want. And it was that time in my life where a little bit of a dark side came out in me that had never been there before, where I was like, you know what? I'm not done. And I remember I never told my parents. I mean, they know now it's a big part of my story. But I remember the next morning because I was like, study, do everything by the book. The next morning I woke up, I found Coach Lopez's office. I beelined it past his assistant. I stormed into his. This is not me. I'm not this guy. I stormed into his office and I was like, Coach Lopez, I just need five minutes of your time. And I remember he, he let me come in and sit down and he said, how can I help you? And I told him, there is something inside of me that is telling me that I'm not done with baseball. I don't know what that means, 
but that was the best I've ever thrown. I'm not asking you to keep me on the team by any means, but I'm, I'm here. I don't know where I go from here, but I'm telling you I'm not done. And it was that one time in my life where I broke all the rules. Like I didn't go to class. I didn't tell my parents. I stormed into his office. Like I demanded, I demanded my next step. I wasn't letting people make the steps for me. I wasn't, I, I, I pulled control because no matter how hard you work, you know, a lot of us, there's other people controlling what the outcome is going to be. And that day I took control of it and it changed the entire direction of my life. So after that, we called down to G it was the middle of the season. Well, not the middle of the season, middle of the school year. So I couldn't afford to go out of state. I was already a junior in college. So I had to go to GCU. And when I went to Grand Canyon University here in Arizona, um, I wasn't very liked by the coaches because the coaches had to take me. Nobody says no to Coach Lopez. So I was put into a situation for two years that tested me. Like this built my grit and my and what I do now. Like, and that's why I'm explaining it because it it, it tested me and built a, a a mindset that has led me to building the business that I have today. And when I went to GCU. The coaches didn't really care for me. They didn't want to play me. I was arguably one of their best pitchers on the team. I mean, I, I had, I was good. And the only time, if you guys listening know that no baseball or even look this up, the only time they would put me into play was when it was bases loaded with no outs. It's the only time I ever got to pitch. Oh, that's right. Yeah, well, wild, yeah. Man. I mean, here's the thing. I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a big baseball guy. But even I know that's that's the worst position you can be in. Right. And I'm talking stadium full of people. They would call me from the bullpen. I, I was starter quality. Like I was good. I was a lefty. I threw well. And they would call into the bullpen. I, it got so bad to a point where all of us sitting in the bullpen, we would see the pitchers get into trouble, and they'd be like, "All right, you're probably gonna go in." And it would be bases loaded, no outs, and they'd put me in. They were setting me up to fail every time. So this is a, a very big turning point in my life because I realized I didn't have control over that. But what I did have control over was my work ethic. I still had that. So I made an obligation to myself that I, would I wouldn't give up. I would show up every day to practice. I'd be the first one on the field. I'd be the last one to leave. And I would outwork everybody. And I was like the team captain. Everybody liked me because I was I, I, lo I loved everybody. And I was the hardest worker on the team that never got the shot. And what? Go ahead. And I want to recap something here because, you know, I train a lot of younger kids as well and, you know, a few adults. And I want to touch on some things because I talk about a lot of these things in my blog as well. The dedication that you need to have in order to make it even that far in any sport is unreal. When Will's talking about working at such a young age to, you know, lift weights, get his nutrition down, you have everyone has to realize that you're not the only one doing that. There's a million other kids, not only in America, but but across the seas that are doing the same thing because they want to make it on the pro level. And I always try to tell my kids this too, that just because you put in the work, and this may be more of a business thing as well. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get what you want as in. So really what I mean by that, at the end of the day, results are results. And that's a great thing that sports um, can teach the kids and people growing up in general, because like you said, you can be the hardest worker in the room, 
But if you don't have complete control of the situation, it doesn't matter. And I also believe that's why former athletes make the best business owners and entrepreneurs, because there is a point in, the, in your life where you realize that you don't have control over everything that you want. And you decide that I'm going to take that control. So I actually do love your story because you're actually telling us everything that went into the point of you saying, I'm not going to let the world dictate what dictate what happens to me. I'm going to take the bull by the horn and keep going. And I'm not going to let someone force me out. So I, I really wanted to recap that before I let you go on, because that's something that everyone needs to hear, because no matter what goes on or how much effort you put in at the end of the day, results are results and you need to have some type of control over what happens to you. Right. And I completely agree. And, you know, I've talked about this to a lot of high school kids, college kids, because it's true grit, right? Like you're building grit because it doesn't matter. And, and I'm the perfect story for this. No, but you could ask, you could interview anybody that ever trained with me, played on a baseball team with me. They will say, Will was the hardest worker. Like hands down, nobody worked harder. And, and I had built that from a young age. It was just instilled in me. But it, just like what you said, all that, re, all that matters are the results, which is why sports can be so frustrating because you'll see these kids that don't care. They don't show up. They're late every day. And boom, they're the starter on the team. Simply because genetically or whatever their, their, their position is, it produced results at the right time. And the reason I said grit is so important is because it's not about the work that you put in. Although you need to put in the work to fine tune your skills, the grit comes into play because it's all about the opportunity. And what people need to realize is opportunities are not handed to you. They are created by you. So the more grit yes. you have, the more failures you go through, the harder you work, the key is you keep going. And it's a matter of one day, one time, there's going to be an opportunity that you created and you're going to get a shot. It does not matter. And, and when it comes down to that moment, it doesn't matter if you worked for 10 years or 10 minutes. All that matters is the results that you produce in that moment. And if you do that and you persevere through it, you're going to get your shot. But that's that's sports in a nutshell, man. And people don't realize there's people, there's, there's kids 12 years old right now in another country and they're waking up all day playing baseball and nothing else because their family needs to eat. Yeah, so, it, you know. it is. So, uh, so let me ask something. So after, after Grand Canyon University, what was the next step? Right. So after that, um, so in the middle of that, I actually switched my major. So when that whole thing happened and I kind of took control of my life and I said, look, all I can control is what I can control. I actually walked into my guidance counselor and I was a junior in college and I was one year away from going to med school. And I said, I need you to change my major to business. And they were like, you're absolutely crazy. Like, are you on a drug? Like, why would you do that? And I said, I need you to change it right now. And in my mind, I knew, I knew, I knew I was, I had this thing where I said, you know what? I'm not going to play baseball. I, my experience isn't great. I, I've done this. I put in the work. It's time to move on. And I said, what do I love? What, what am I passionate about? What do I think about all day, day in and day out? Health and wellness, nutrition, exercise. So I knew I was going to own a business in health and wellness. I just didn't know what it was going to be. So I stormed in. I said, change my major. They tried to convince me not to. I said, change it to business because I, I want to learn about business. So I stay in school an extra year and a half. I get my business degree. I get done with baseball. I then, when I graduate, 
I start working at the university so that I can get my MBA. So I wanted to get my MBA because I said, okay, well, if I really want to own a business, I'm going to need an MBA because that's just what I, that, that is, that was my conditioned experience. Like, okay, I need an MBA. Neither of my parents have college degrees. So I said, I'm going to stay in school. I'm going to work for the university and I'm going to get my MBA. So as I was doing that, here's where the work ethic came back into play. I, I got hired on as a personal trainer from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. I worked my job at the university from 9 to 5. I went to my master's classes from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. I was also, I also got into bodybuilding. So after baseball was done, I said, okay, I have a really good opportunity to, to use my knowledge in, in nutrition and exercise. I'm going to go into bodybuilding. So I was prepping for bodybuilding shows during that whole thing. So I'd have to carry around with me six, seven meals a day. I would train on my lunch hour. And I also got into network marketing because I wanted to make some money on the side. So I was doing all of that at the same exact time. And it wasn't a huge deal deal to me because I, all I did was transition all the work I was putting in with baseball into this. It was an easy transition and I had control over everything. Nobody else had control over me. So it started to produce some serious results after that. Yeah, I, I completely hear you 100%. I'd actually want to say our story is probably the same because I did the same thing. Um, I didn't get an MBA. I got a master's in communications. But from 4.30 a.m. to 9 a.m., I was training. from, And then I was a teacher at the university. So I was teaching two classes in addition to training. Then I had to go to my classes, knock out the homework, all at the same time while marketing myself um, throughout the city. And a lot of you know I'm from Wichita, Kansas. Wichita is not a fitness mecca. Um, I'm going to choose my words carefully here. Um, <laughs> dating has a lot to do with fitness. It really does. People, a lot of people get in shape because you know they want to find a life partner. Which you know, mm -hmm. I mean, hey, I mean, I get it. Um, you don't need to look great in Wichita to get a, uh, to get a life partner. <laughs> I mean, hey, you show up with a forty thousand dollar a year job and hey, one misdemeanor, hey, you're a one. <laughs> <laughs> As long as you don't have a felony, hey, you're good to go. But uh, yeah, no, I hear you. Uh, so sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I do all that, and I'm testing the waters. I'm like, okay, I'm 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 out in the real world now. This is true reality. I'm not, you know, I'm not in school. I don't have coaches. Like, I'm out in the ocean, and I'm, you know, I got fishing rods everywhere. I got everything going for me. And what I what I realized is, I had to try everything to realize what I wasn't meant to do. Like I had to be a trainer to realize, you know what, as much as I love training people, this isn't my passion. I had to, to do network marketing to realize, wow, this is making me a little bit of money, but this isn't my long-term passion. This has a very short-term lifespan. I had to work nine to five to realize I can be good at working, but I was never meant to work for somebody. That's just that, that that's not, and I loved it. I was good at what I did but I knew I had a bigger purpose, but I had to do all those things in order to understand that. So same thing with bodybuilding and I'll briefly touch on the bodybuilding stuff. I know you're probably gonna have some questions, but when I got into bodybuilding, I prepped myself. I did nine shows in three years and I prepped myself for the first two shows. And then once I got in the industry, I started hiring coaches and I started learning from the, well, I'm gonna take that word back, learning. I started being coached by these people and I started asking questions and nobody would answer my questions. There was no learning experience. It was the most bizarre thing I'd ever been a part of. And what I realized is that sport wasn't very healthy. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people 
in the sport who do it the right way, but majority of people do not. It is not about your health at all. It is just about the way you look because essentially you're standing on a stage in front of five to seven judges who don't know you. They don't know the work you put in and they don't care. You're standing up there and here's how they're judging you on your flaws. Whoever has the least amount of flaws wins the show. So it becomes this competition, not about your health, but just how you can you can take a little bit of water away from your lower fourth ab so that the judge thinks that you're a little tighter than the next guy. Like it, it trust me. Go ahead. I know. And um it's uh, <laughs> here here's a here's just a just to rewind here a little bit. He did nine shows in three years. Most of the time, people take time off between shows. So Will virtually had no time in between competitions, which is, I mean, in, by now, it's unheard of. So that's, I mean, that's just crazy in itself. So, I mean, that shows a lot of dedication. But I'm going to go ahead and let you go because a lot of people who don't know about bodybuilding, um, nine shows in three years is not a joke. And he probably was very cranky most of those years. <laughs> Oh yeah. I mean, and here's the crazy part because I had been dieting since I was 12. By the time I got into bodybuilding out of those nine shows, I didn't cheat on a diet one time. I've never cheated on a, on a diet in my bodybuilding shows in my bodybuilding career, even in like out of the prep. Cause you know, for, for anybody listening, if you don't know about bodybuilding, typically you'll do about 16 weeks of what they would call a prep before you do a show. So it's very strict eating. It's measuring every, every milligram and ounce you eat, water you consume for 16 weeks. Well, after a show, you typically take a little time off. I never did. I went show to show to show. And this was poor coaching. I'm just gonna throw it out there. This was me letting somebody take the reins, a coach take the reins, because this is what they do. A coach who was- could not answer his questions. I'm gonna highlight that. A right. good a good sign of a good teacher or coach in life can always explain what you're doing and why you're doing it. Right. And in this industry, what I had come to realize was a lot of them didn't actually know what they were doing. They were passing down diets and they, they were passing down diets over and over and over. And they were just modifying little tiny things. But they didn't really have a true understanding of why or how, because every human body is different. And so I never got answers. I never had a community. It was it was a dark for me. My experience was dark, and and every time I would do a show, my coach would just say, "All right, you're so close. We just got to put you in another show. There's a show six weeks away." Okay, okay, let me prep for that. Oh, you're so close. There's another show. We just need to get in front of different judges. It's ten weeks away, and that was literally my life. Like I lost friendships. I never went to social gatherings. I, I, if I had to be out for any reason, let's say it was my best friend's birthday, I would say that I was going to the bathroom and I would run out to my car and I would scarf down eight ounces of tilapia and three ounces of asparagus. Like warm fish in the car? Cold. Oh, cold fish in the car, in my little six pack freezer bag. That's what I would do for like three years. It was bizarre. So um, I've written about this on my blog there. When you get down to such a low body fat percentage, it's it's virtually impossible to stay there. And there's a lot of at risk health, um, 
I mean, there's a lot of health uh, defects that could come of that. Uh, did you experience any of that during your time uh, competing? So I'll just I'll just tell you guys this, just to put some stuff into perspective for you guys listening. Um, when I got done, when I finally threw in the towel on bodybuilding, um, I had went to my doctor, who is my naturopathic doctor, and I had him run blood tests. And my testosterone levels were 85. So I just, just to give you guys a perspective listening, the average male testosterone level, if you're anywhere from 25 to 35, 35, is probably around 800. I was 80. I had the testosterone levels of like a seven-year-old boy. 10%. And, right. Like it was, he looked at me and said, I don't even know how you're functioning. Like, I don't know how you have the muscle you have on your body. I don't know how you're thinking straight. I don't know. And it, it, it messed me up. Like, I think it messed up my memory. It messed up like some cognition. And I had to go on, it took probably two to three years to rebuild myself back to a healthy state. I mean, I would eat, I would eat a donut and I would literally store fat from eating one donut because my, the homeostasis of my body, my growth hormone, testosterone, estrogen, all of it was so out of whack that my body didn't know what to do. But the, my greatest asset turned into my worst enemy in that sport. Like my work ethic, my drive, my grit, it drove myself into the ground and it destroyed my health. And this is where, this is the second huge turning point in my life where I was like, this is not right. This is what people are striving for. And this is not healthy. This is people who, who work every day, your normal person, like the 99% of people in our country, in our world, they think this is healthy. They think this is what you're supposed to do. And this is what you're, they're sold. And that's when I had to take a stance and I was like, no, 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 no. I'm going to create something that is bigger. I'm going to impact the world the right way. And nobody's going to like the way that I do it. Go ahead and pop over to the next episode to find out more about willpower and how their system works. As always, if you're interested in attending any of the challenges or events, go ahead and scroll to our show notes and click on the links provided. Also, don't forget to tap subscribe on the way out and share our show with your friends. As always, if you know anyone in the greater Phoenix area that would make an excellent guest, tell them to call my phone and I'll hear them out. If you have any questions or comments about the content, go ahead and give us a tweet and I'll hit you back. Keep sharing those positive vibes and stay cool, Phoenix. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube